scriptures, Numbers chapter 9, Numbers chapter 9, share a message entitled Lord's Passover out of Numbers chapter 9. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 of that chapter, and with the Lord's help we'll be able to make some comparisons and understand, glean some understanding in reference to the Passover feast and also the Lord's Supper. In Numbers chapter 9, in verse 1, it says, The Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel also keep the Passover at his appointed season. In the fourteenth day of this month at even, ye shall keep it in the, its appointed season according to all the rites of it, and according to all the ceremonies thereof shall ye keep it. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the first month at even in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So did the children of Israel. And there were certain men who were defiled by a, the dead body of a man, that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and before Aaron on that day. And those men said unto him, We are defiled by the dead body of a man. Wherefore we are, uh, are we kept back that uh, we may not offer an offering of the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel. Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command us. Uh, concerning you. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you or of your posterity uh, shall be unclean by reason of a dead body, or be in a journey afar off, uh, yet he shall keep the Passover unto the Lord. The fourteenth day of the second month at even, they shall keep it, and eat it, and uh, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Uh, they shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any bone of it. According to all the ordinance of the Passover, they shall keep it. But the man that is clean and is not in a journey, and forbeareth to keep the Passover, even the same soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he brought not the offering of the Lord in his appointed season, that man shall bear his sin." And if a, man, if a stranger shall sojourn among you and will keep the Passover unto the Lord according to the ordinance of the Passover and according to the manner thereof, so shall he do. Ye shall have one ordinance, ye shall have one ordinance, uh, both for the stranger and for him that is born in the land. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving us passage of Scripture. Help us to glean some thoughts that will help us uh, to grab a hold of a deeper understanding of uh, the offering of Christ on Calvary for our sins. Uh, Lord, I pray that we might be able to come to the communion table this morning uh, with a sense of uh, a spirit of renewal in us, uh, knowing the power of God and the grace of God that is extended to us because of what Christ did on Calvary. And uh, Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone with us that's not saved, that they might realize uh, the necessity to receive Christ as their Savior in order to be a child of God. 
And Lord, that they might become born again today by faith in Christ and Christ alone. I pray for every believer that we might rejoice in our hearts of what you established in the means of atoning for the sins of man as the blood of the lambs were shed in the Old Testament and the blood of Christ was shed in the New Testament. Uh, Lord, we have perfect redemption and perfect atonement through the sacrifice that was made. And so speak to our hearts in a special way as we study the Word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's Passover. Uh, we will be observing the Lord's Supper or communion, we call it, in just a few moments at the end of the message. And uh, I really believe that the communion table is a memorial feast. And uh, you do not find any grace or me any means of salvation by eating the bread or drinking of the juice. It is simply a memorial feast, if you will, to remind us what Christ did on Calvary. We're recognizing and remembering the time that God set us free from our sins. And the communion table is not for unsaved people. It's for people who have trusted Christ as their Savior. The communion table is a place where we gather to remind ourselves about the grace of God that delivered our souls and set us free from the bondage of our sins. It's interesting that the Feast of Passover in the Old Testament was also a memorial feast uh, in reference to the time when God would bring the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And God established the uh, uh, Passover feast for them to eat as a memorial of God's deliverance and God's power to set them free. And so what I'm going to do in the message, I just want to go through and do some parallel passages in recognizing uh, the Passover feast and looking at the communion feast, if you will, in the New Testament. You know, in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 43, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. And uh, we know, as we're going to see in a few moments, that's in reference to death passing over the household that had the blood that was put on the doorpost and the lentil on the door. And so it is an ordinance of the Passover. And 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, For even Christ, our Passover is sacrifice for us. And I remember I preached a message a while ago, I think it was entitled, Christ, our Passover. This morning's message is the Lord's Passover. Uh, we're thankful that Christ is our Passover. We're thankful that he provided a way for our sins to be atoned and be able to release us from that. But we need to be reminded also that the Lord's Passover was very clear and established of why Christ had to die on the cross and why we come to the Lord's table and remember what took place. So first of all, I want us to consider the ceremony of the feast. The ceremony of the feast. In verse 1, where we read in Numbers 9, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel also keep the Passover at his appointed season. And so the ceremony of the feast is that it had a set time when the children of Israel were supposed to observe it. Because he says here that he was supposed to observe it. Uh, uh, I don't remember what my next point is. I, did, I changed it when I was putting on there. Go ahead and put the next point up there. So I remember, oh, okay. The Passover feast, the next one. Amen. 
I meant to change it in my notes. Specific time, amen. I, I thought that's what it was, wasn't sure. And, uh, but it was a specific time. He says, I shall keep it at its appointed season. And uh, God is very direct and God is very specific in what he establishes for his people to observe and to keep. It's just interesting that in, in present day Christianity, we have this kind of general concept of God. And uh, we, like, we act like God is not specific about terms and experiences, when in reality, God is very specific about everything. And uh, God, at a specific time, established when they were to observe the Passover feast. So it was to be at its appointed season. Then in verse th uh, 3, it says, In the fourth day of the month at even, ye shall keep it appointed season according to the rites of it, and according to all the ceremonies thereof shall ye keep. And so the next one was the next one. I didn't write that one down either. I put them on the computer, but not these couple of points I didn't. It was a set day. It was a set day. A lot of people say, well, we can just kind of observe communion whenever we want to. I don't believe so. I believe God has set with the Passover feast a specific time of the year when they were to observe it and a specific day in which they were to supposed to reserve it, uh, observe it. And I believe when we talk about coming to the communion table, I think God is that specific, as we're going to see in a few moments, and how we approach the Lord's table and, and why we're approaching the Lord's table. When do we approach the Lord's table and what is the Lord's table all about? It's a ceremony that God established. It's a ceremony of a feast of recognizing uh, God's ability to deliver man. And Israel were to observe this at a very specific time on a set day to remind themselves this is what God did miraculously in the life of Israel. So it had a set time. It also, when you think about the Passover feast, we have to think about the Lord's Supper. And notice, in for, in for, we're going to be flipping back and forth between 1 Corinthians 11 and also back in the Numbers and uh, some other passages. But notice that it was to be observed, it was observed pure, purely. In other words, we are not to be defiled when we come to the Lord's table. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in uh, verse 17, uh, tells us now, uh, Paul's talking to the Corinthian believers to the church about the Lord's Supper. He says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, for, but for the worse. It, it was, it's an alarming thing to read through the first and second Corinthians because Paul is, is trying to put straight things that were wrong in the church. And they literally were coming to the Lord's table defiled. They were not coming pure before the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and then verse 19, he says, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. He said, you know, you were coming together. He goes on as you read through the chapter, you find there were divisions among them. You find there was heresies among them. You find there was sin among them. They were not observing the Lord's table in a pure way. And the children of Israel, when they observed the Passover feast, 
they had to be clean. They had to be pure when they came before God and observed the Passover feast. And so that carries over with the Lord's Supper. I know years ago, churches required a time of purification before you were allowed to take communion. And there had to be a time, I remember reading the history of Dividing Creek Baptist Church, and in that history, the thesis paper that a pastor wrote on that, uh, years ago, Dividing Creek would not allow you to take communion on Sunday if you were not there for Saturday night for the service of confession and getting repentance and getting right with God on Saturday night. I mean, they were very strict about this thing, that you don't approach the Lord's table with sin in your life. You don't approach the Lord's table in an impure way. And so the Lord's Supper was to be observed uh, purely. It was supposed to be reserved regularly. Notice in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, and I read these passages every time we have communion, but I want you to think about them. It says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death till he comes. As often. That speaks of being regular. That, you know, I, I know preachers uh, that, that uh, well, absolutely don't have communion, but maybe once a year, if that much. But they were to observe communion on a regular basis when they came together. As a matter of fact, as often as they came together, they were to observe the Lord's table because it was a memorial, a ceremony, if you will, to remind us of the set time in, in history when God sent His Son into this world to die for us and to offer Himself as a sacrifice to redeem us from all of our sins. And so uh, it, is, it does have a set time. We observe the Lord's table. There's no a specific thing where the Bible says you're observed the Lord's table on Sunday mornings or you're supposed to observe it on Sunday nights. It just says as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. So I think it ought to be established in a regular way, and we establish it. We'll have it uh, every other month. We'll have it on a Sunday morning, and every other month we have it on a Sunday evening. You say, is, is, that, is that the only way to do it? Absolutely not, because it doesn't say that is the only way to do it. It just says as often you need to be regular <coughs> in observing the Lord's table and remembering, reminding yourself what Christ has done for us and that requires of us a sense of cleanness and purity before our God. And so notice it had a set time. It also had participants. Back in the chapter 9 of Numbers and talking about the Passover feast, the participants, notice in verse 4, was the children of Israel. This Passover feast that was given was not given to the Gentile nations. It was given to Israel. And in Numbers chapter 9 and verse 4, And Moses spake unto the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. Now God was not speaking to the Gentile nations that they should keep the Passover. He was talking to Israel. And so the participants of this observation uh, was the children of Israel. But it was also those that were unclean. Notice in chapter 9 and verse 10, it was a means for them to get cleaned up before God. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you or your posterity shall be unclean by reason of a dead body, 
or be in a journey afar off, he shall keep the Passover to the Lord. The fourteenth day of the second month at even, they shall keep it and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Why? Because the unclean needed to be made clean. And the children of Israel as a nation had the opportunity to observe this great feast before their God because they were remembering what God had done in their life. But God required of them, even the unclean, to get cleaned up, to put the leaven out of their life and to be pure before their God. Not only did he, you see uh, the children of Israel and the unclean, but you see the stranger in the land. In Numbers chapter 9 and verse 14 it says, And if a stranger shall sojourn among you, and will keep the Passover unto the Lord according to the ordinance of the Passover, and according to the manner thereof, so shall he do, he shall be, I'm sorry, he, ye shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and for him that was born in the land. There were those that would uh, convert to Judaism. There was a, those that would uh, surrender their life to the Lord uh, through the people of Israel. And God said this, when you get ready to observe the feast, remember, you're to be the children of God. You're to be the children of Israel. And you're to be clean. And you're to be holy. And you're, even if there's a stranger that is dwelling amongst you, matter of fact, you go back into Exodus, you find in, in, in Leviticus, you find that if there was a, someone who was a servant of a Jewish uh, household, uh, if he was circumcised, then he could partake in the Passover feast because he was a stranger in the land. That speaks to me that God is not willing that any should perish. And God wants all of us to come to know Christ as our Savior and be a part of the family of God. And so the participants of the Passover feast. In the Lord's Supper, we want to look at the participants in the Lord's Supper. Over in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 21, we see Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper and speaking to his disciples. Matthew 26 and verse 21 says, uh, and he, as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And then he goes on and says, And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say within, to, unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me, and the Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Can you imagine a statement, somebody saying to you, you'd been better off if you weren't even born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. The interesting thing is in John chapter 13, when you cross-reference that, You'll find at that very moment that uh, Jesus tells Judas, what thou doest, do quickly. And so Judas immediately leaves after Jesus confronts him. And so the Lord's Supper that is instituted in Matthew chapter 26 by Jesus was with 11 disciples, not with Judas Iscariot. Uh, every time we have communion, I always say, if you're not sure you're saved, 
uh, please do not take of the Lord's Supper because of the fact that it is for born-again believers in Christ. I had one girl years ago, this is quite a while ago, called me, called the church, and I got on the phone with her, and I mean, she was hot. She was madder than a wet hen. I mean, she was screaming and hollering at me, and uh, how dare you tell me not to take communion, blah, blah, blah. I said, I didn't tell you specifically not to take communion. I said, if you do not have peace in your heart, that you have been born again, then you're not a child of God. And if you're not a child of God, the Lord's table is not for you. And you're the one that has to make the decision whether you take of it or not. You can take of it as a means of having fellowship with the Lord, or you can eat and drink unto the damnation of yourself if you're not sure you're saved. This is serious business. Well, we, we, treat, we treat spiritual disciplines in our life like it's not a big deal. But it is a big deal. And God makes it a big deal. And so when he instituted the Lord's Supper, it's very clear that Judas Iscariot was not there. Just like with the children of Israel, when they observed the Passover feast, it was Israel and the people in his, their land who had been circumcised and made their lives right with God and identified with Jehovah God of the Old Testament, and then they were able to take up the Lord's table. Well, in the New Testament, you don't take up the Lord's table until you've trusted Christ as your Savior. So it was delivered, this matter of observing this memorial feast, it was delivered to the 11 disciples. So it establishes you have to believers, be believers in Christ in order to take up to it. It was also instituted in the church. Now we know we can talk about the church as far as, you know, the church is a ecclesia, it's a called out body of believers. And in a minute form, you can see the disciples together, and you can say that was a form of the church. I remember years ago, Pastor Hollywood and I used to talk about this quite a bit. When did the church start? On the day of Pentecost, or did it start with Jesus Christ? Because Ecclesia is a called-out body of believers, yes, but the church wasn't really instituted fully when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. It's a good debate, a good, interesting thing to talk about. And, uh, but the church is established... As Christ called his disciples, there were an assembled body of believers when he instituted the church. And then the instruction about observing the Lord's table is given to us in 1 Corinthians. And Paul is writing to the church. He's writing to the local church. Communion is not something you observe in your house. Communion is not something that you just get together at some assembly somewhere and say, oh, I think we'll have communion. Communion is an ordinance that was given to the church. And it's an ordinance that's to be observed within the church under the authority of the church as the church has established leadership in the church as far as pastors and deacons in the church. To do that outside of the church is to abandon the authority which Christ established. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. Paul, speaking to the Corinthian believers, says, For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. He's in the church. He's with the believers. And he's establishing this uh, feast, if you will, or this meal that they are going to experience uh, in the church. And so the ceremony of the feast is that it was in Israel... 
by the children of Israel, the strangers that were accepted in the land and brought before the Lord in the Lord's Supper, once again, is with believers in Christ. So it's delivered to the eleven, instituted in the church, and examined personally. That's why in verse 28 of uh, 1 Corinthians 11, he says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. You are personally accountable for your relationship with Christ. You are personally accountable when you take the Lord's Supper. If there is sin in your life and you do not confess it, and you do not get forgiven and cleansed from it, you will have to give an account of that when you stand before God. And this is a serious, serious feast that we celebrate in reference to what Christ accomplished on Calvary. Notice, not only did the, both of these ceremonies of the feast have a set time and had participants, but it had an objective. There was a reason for God establishing it. It was a reason. In Exodus chapter 12, it's not just something, oh, we're going to do something religiously. God had a reason behind it. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. That was the objective of the Passover. The objective was that the children of Israel would be delivered from the plague that was coming on the land. But when you think about the Lord's Supper, we have the Lord's support in Galatians 5.1. It says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so we come to the Lord's table remembering what Christ has done for us on Calvary and what He did for us on Calvary. He set us free from the bondage of sin. And we come to the Lord's table as a means of support, encouragement, and strength reminding us that we are not beggars. We are not consumed with sin. We're not controlled by the world. Christ has set us free just as Israel was set free when the Passover was observed. But they were not set free if they did not observe the Passover. And if we are not willing to come to the communion table in a right spirit and right attitude, we're ignoring the reality that Christ has set us free from the bondage of sin. We have freedom not to sin because of what Christ did for us. So the ceremony of the feast. I need to hurry up. The cost of the feast. The cost of the feast was simply this. The Passover, we'll consider the Passover first in Exodus chapter 12. It was a personal commitment of time. And uh, it required time for them to prepare for the Passover feast. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 15 Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread, even the first ye shall put away a leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. There was a commitment of time to prepare for the oh, uh, Passover feast. I just wonder sometimes how much, how much time do we commit ourselves to prepare to come before the Lord's, in the Lord's table? I know there's no grace there. I know there's no deliverance there. I understand 
It is a ordinance that God gave to us, but we come, we come so lighthearted. We live our Christian life so lighthearted. Where is the time of commitment to the Lord to prepare our hearts for God? There was a commitment in time. There was a personal purging of leaven because they said you cannot eat leavened bread for those seven days. Purging your house, purging your person. Uh, There was a removing of that which was corrupt and wicked. It was personal separation from work. In verse 16 it says the first day there shall be a holy convocation, which is an assembly. And in the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation to you. No matter of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. That was a time of separation from work. Where's, where's our effort to separate ourselves from work, from leaven, from sinfulness, from time that's consumed, because we are not willing to commit ourselves unto the Lord as holy and submitted. Notice it was a personal application of the blood. Moses called in verse 21, it says, that Moses called for all the elders of the church and said, uh, elders of the church, elders of Israel, he called all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. The blood had to be applied. That was observing the Passover. Well, the Lord's Supper, as you parallel that, we know that the Lord's Supper requires a practical observation of purging our sin, getting our sin out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Paul says that, oh, uh, purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sanctified for us. They're just, listen, folks, there's just some things need to get out of our lives. There, there's things that are consuming our time, whether it be social media, whether it be improper images, whether it be inappropriate conversations, whatever it may be, it just needs to be put out of our life. Why? Because we're supposed to purge that which is leavened out. Not as it also required a practical preservation of that which is holy. And uh, that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 29, it says, For he that eateth unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not concerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Preservation of that which is holy. Then there's a practical recognition of that which is sacrificed. It is Christ who was sacrificed for us. It's not us sacrificing our lives to work hard so that we might be accepted of God, but it's us recognizing that Christ sacrificed himself on Calvary so that we might be saved. There's a cost. When we come to the communion table just in about three minutes, four minutes, maybe an hour, I don't know. (laughs) When we come to the communion table, that represents a cost. And the cost was the life of Christ. 
We cannot take that lighthearted. We, not, we cannot approach it with knowing sin is in our life and we're not willing to get the sin out. Because it costs God everything for us to be able to be saved. There's the completion of the feast. The Passover feast brought to pass the intended purpose of God. And that was Israel was delivered. That was the purpose of the Passover feast. And the Passover feast was celebrated and completed in recognition that God accomplished his purpose. And he delivered Israel. But it brought to pass the required observance of God's people. And then God's people were reminded, okay, you did the Passover, you offered the lamb, you shed the blood, you applied the blood, but listen, I want you to do this every year. I want you to remember what you did and being able to experience God's purpose being accomplished in you and setting you free. When we think about the Lord's Supper, it brings to mind uh, to the mind and the heart, a reminder of God's grace. It is God's grace that has set us free. It's God's grace that has delivered us. And every time we come to the Lord's table, it reminds us how good, how kind, how merciful, how forgiving God is that he would save and redeem such wretched people. And I'm not condemning you. I'm talking about myself. But we, we are a stench in the nostril of God. But we come to the Lord's table because we remember how gracious and how kind and how merciful and how loving God is that he would save us. But it also brings to the believer a heart and life freed from the judgment of God. That's why 1 Corinthians 11 and 31 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. The chastisement of God fell on Christ. And because the chastisement of God fell on Christ, then we have been set free. And because we have been set free, uh, we come clean before God acknowledging the fact that if we would judge ourselves, we don't have to worry about being judged. If I would allow the Lord to reveal to me what needs to be confessed in my life, then I could experience a freshness and a newness because of the presence of God and the redemption of Christ, the completion of the feast. You realize when we take of the bread, when we take of the juice this morning, we're acknowledging the body that was battered, bruised, and broken, sacrifice for us and we're drinking of the blood the symbol of the blood that was shed for us just as that blood was put on the doorpost of the houses of Israel the blood of Christ has been applied to us and our sins have been atoned for and because we confess our sins he's faithful and just forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness we can come before him in a pure spirit and a pure heart with a desire to live a pure life. The Lord's Passover. That's the Lord's Passover. That's what the Lord did for us. As we take the communion this morning, 
I would ask you to ponder in your heart uh, what God has done on your behalf. I'll have the men come at this time, and uh, we'll observe the Lord's table together, and then we will sing a song of invitation at the end.